Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's going on, everybody? Happy Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. Today is episode 345 of Elijah Fire. Very excited about today's guest. If you guys are listening on Spotify, make sure to follow the Elijah Fire Podcast there or wherever you're listening to this on any of our podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, everything. Um, Also, guys, I wanted to say that we, um, I've been saying this a couple of times, but we have, we started a new teaching series. The last teaching series of the year starts tomorrow, and it's called Discerning Prophecy featuring James Gall. Um, And that was a huge get. Uh, We were like, he said yes? (laughs) What? And, um, and I just really felt strongly that we were supposed to invite him on for the last teaching series of the year. I felt this a couple months ago, we reached out to him and I'll be honest, I was expecting him to say, no, I'm busy. But anyways, we reached out to him and we asked him uh, to come on. And he said, um, he said, you know, it's interesting. I had a, I was spending time with the Lord today and he told me that someone from Elijah fire was going to ask in reach out to me and invite me into the show. And I was to say yes. And I was like, what? So super cool. You guys, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I felt very strongly that as we enter into 2024, it's really important to know how to take a hold of a prophetic word, how to foster it, how to give a prophetic word, how to receive a prophetic word, um, how to use discernment. Discernment is super important in the body of Christ. So we're going to be talking about a lot of that. Um, for four episodes. So it's going to be every Wednesday up until the last week of December. So we're really looking forward to it. You guys can't wait. That's going to be at t- tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time, discerning prophecy featuring James Gull, part one of four. Very excited. Also, speaking of excited, we officially announced yesterday that we uh, we launched merch. We have a merch with Elijah Fire finally. So we've got shirts, men's and women's shirts. We have a mug and we've got stickers as well so you can slap k by on whatever you want now and make a statement uh so yeah very excited about that um also we just wanted to point out that we made that announcement now to like three hundred thousand people but we wanted to make sure you guys got access first um so if you have not purchased and it's a pre-order right now because we're still waiting for the product to come into you know our hub uh, so please go now. You can click the link in the description or you can go to ElijahShopper.com. That's ElijahShopper.com. Type in Elijah Fire, all one word in the search, and you'll see all of our products there. Go ahead and get what you want now. Uh, don't wait because we basically are going to sell out whatever we have, and then you're going to have to wait for a restock. And so as Elijah Fire loyalists... <laughs> I want you guys to make sure that you get access to that first. So please, if you haven't, go do that right now. You can open up a separate tab or however you're listening to this, you can use something else to go buy it. So I want to let you guys know that. Um, Super excited about that. We're going to hopefully add more in the near future. We have a couple other designs. I'm never short of ideas. So it was more about reining myself in so that we could actually like have stuff that wasn't going to take me forever to create. So. Very excited about that, guys. Thank you again for being so patient. We love you guys. And uh, this is, in a way, our gift back to you for being so patient for like two years. So there you go. All right, guys. uh, My guest today, uh, she's a teacher. She's a speaker. She's also the leader of Revive the Way. Let's give it up for our guest today, Rayma Trainer. Rayma, hey. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the past several times, I guess the majority of the times that we've been on, you've been talking a lot about the shifts that are happening within the church. And part of being a pioneer such as yourself, you say that a lot to a lot of people for a long time before other things kind of start to catch up. Um, But, you know, in your notes, there was some mention about things that you see shifting and changing within 2024. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of lay that out and then we'll talk about it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, anybody who, who follows me or who is familiar with like 
all the new wine skin like stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure some people are like, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. New yeah, wine enough skin. about the <laughs> hashtag new wine skin. It's yeah. like, we're done. No, but um, I'm kidding. But you know, like obviously, I think for the last several years, there's been a lot of emphasis that things are changing. And even if you don't even know things are changing, you would probably think things do need to change, right? Yeah, so sure. probably most yeah. people within the church are, are in that camp somewhere where it needs to change or they actually see it changing. And, right. you know, so I think that, yeah, like one of the things about pioneering, especially like apostolically, prophetically, you see things a lot further out, um, you know, and then you begin to proclaim, you begin to build, you begin to, um, you know, to kind of bring people along on that journey. And, you know, some people come along early days and then eventually it becomes a bit more mainstream. And then the majority of people are like, oh, we kind of see how that's happening. It's like over the last couple of years, you know, house church stopped being road connect groups and started being a real consideration, you know, for a lot of people where like mm -hmm. five, eight years ago, that like, wasn't, the yeah, case. it wasn't just a place for people with church hurt. It was actually oh. like, Hey, you know, there's actually something to this. Yeah. Yeah. But like people were like, after COVID, they were like, Oh, I could, I could see that. Or like before they were just like, Oh, never. That's just right. Right. So it's like God transitions us kind of slowly as a mass. You know, it's like there's there's always people who see and, and all that ahead of time. But the way he transitions the church is always obviously a bit more slowly because that's how humans transition. You can't you know, you can't transition large amounts of people instantly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so God has been kind of revealing as we go. Hey, here's some shifts. Here's some changes that are happening. And then, you know, many people have been pioneering to God. What are you saying? Where are you leading us? Um, you know, and I think a lot of people who don't even want things to change have been feeling things change. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know that when you look at the church and you see a lot of the, a lot of the pain and a lot of the, um, yeah, just people who become disconnected over the last several years and, and kind of don't know, they're not offended necessarily. They're just like, I just don't, it's just not where I want to be anymore or where God's calling me. Or I don't, I don't even understand it. You know, I've had a lot of leaders, uh, you know, where they're like, I don't even understand the shift that's happening. I don't even have language for it but I know that God is moving us. I know that he's mm. moving us on and I don't even know what to, yeah. you know, it's like a widespread uh, thing, you know, yeah. which before I never remember that being the case, you know, that well, this is recent. Yeah. And I guess I'm like wondering, and maybe we've talked about this before, but it's worth talking about it again, but I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. The number one, most important one is God is obviously at the center of this shift, but I look at a lot of younger generations. I think it, I don't know that it's just younger generations, but there is an increased hunger for authenticity and yeah. genuine connection. Um, and that if the church is truly to be a safe place for people to come, mm -hmm. that a larger structure, it's a lot more difficult for a larger structure. It's easier to get kind of swallowed up into like the unseen parts of a church, you know, because there's so many people. Um, but it does seem like, that what's happening within the church and the shift towards more intimate, smaller, intimate groups um, where you can't hide, you know, um, is, is a natural progression of that hunger within people to just have a genuine, Hey, like, let's just be real, you know? Um, and I don't know if you have more to say towards that or anything to add to it, but I was just sure. Curious. Yeah, for sure. Because I think um, even statistically, right. There's a lot going on right now from millennial generation forward. So mm -hmm. millennials, Gen Z, you know, a lot of the generations that were kind of like, we're not going to do stuff just because someone said you should do this. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, that's the first time or not the first time, but when a major shift, you started seeing culturally a major shift, we'd be like, I'm, I'm not going to have an idea just because someone told me you should have an idea. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to continue to do this thing yeah. that doesn't make sense to me because of societal pressure or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So you see these things rising in different generations, especially now in Gen Z, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, of course that has alarming um, ramifications on both ends, you know, cause culturally the way that that takes people is obviously like, you know, no regard for boundaries, no regard, you know, and we find ourselves culturally in a big mess, but that also speaks to what is in that generation, like the redemptive potential in that generation to shift something because there's something inherent about those people that God is wanting to use for his purposes. Right. And then the enemy tries to take that same redemptive quality and use it for his purposes. But I believe God's going to really use the millennials, the Gen Z's, the, the people who refused to kind of conform in a sense 
and that God is using us for his purpose. He's using that in us. Um, you know, it's af- millennials. I think it was anyone after um, born after 1985. It was either after from 1985 forward or 1984 forward. Um, that there's less than a 10% chance. I heard this stat the other day. There's less than a 10% chance that they are connected to any sort of faith community. Wow. And so that's wild because when you go back to like the baby boomer generation, something like 60%. Yeah. So just in two generations, mm-hmm. that that is a very alarming and significant shift. And, it, you know, things shouldn't shift that quickly. You know, so clearly God is in it because even the things that the devil tries to do, we all know that God's sovereignty is working within the movement and the, you know, all the things that are happening in our world to bring things to his purposes. And so, you know, we have to look at things like that and say, okay, we see what the enemy is doing pretty easily, but God, what are you doing in this? Hmm. What are you doing in the fact that there's been this mass migration and rejection of something but what are people actually rejecting? Yeah. Because that's a really good question. And I, I say a lot, like sometimes we don't have the right answers because we ask the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. And when we ask the wrong questions, we're going to get, you know, surface level incorrect answers. And so when we ask the right questions, like, well, what are people actually rejecting when they reject the church? Because most of the time it's not Jesus. It's not the desire for authentic community. It's not even biblical values oftentimes, because I know a lot of people who, you know, live very Christian like lives that refuse to go to church or that are not connected into the mainstream church in the same way. And so, you know, it's, we have to just ask better questions and God, what are you doing in this? God, what is it that we're supposed to see in this moment, um, you know, that you're bringing your body into? Because we know that although statistically the church is dying, is that, God's plan for the church? Of course not. We know that God is building a victorious bride. Like this, it isn't the end, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that we're somewhere in that story and we're not at the culmination yet. We're not at the good part yet. If things are going like, Mm -hmm. we're still in some sort of transition and we're seeking God, what are you doing? Because you're going to bring about your purposes in the church. Mm. You're going to have a victorious church. You're going to have a healthy church. You're going to have a shining bride. These are the things that like we, we already know from scripture. And so we've got to say, where are we in this story? God, what are you doing right now? And I think a lot of what God has, you know, been revealing, um, you know, to, to many, I've, I've actually heard a lot of people start to use this language, which is interesting. Cause I, I started talking about hubs probably about a year ago. Yeah. And even over the last year, there's been a lot of, um, change in what I even mean when I define that. Um, cause like pioneering in real time, it's like, I feel like my definitions change. Like, yeah, that I didn't write a book a year ago because I would have to like revise it. You know, like yeah, you'd have like two to three revisions. Yeah, totally. I'm like version three. I'm like, don't read version one. Pull it off the market. Like, uh-huh. I don't actually mean it like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so it's been yeah. an interesting journey, even for myself, um, in my ministry to like say what I mean and then come back like a year later and be like, well, it's kind of like that, but it's also like this, and it's also like a little bit different like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But- and I would imagine you probably change your, the way you describe things now to kind of accommodate any new revisions where you're like yeah. less concrete about certain things and just go, Hey, this is what I'm seeing right now. And then you can kind of yeah, adjust. Yeah, totally. So what are people, I mean, just in your experience, um, like what, what would you, what do you have to say about what people are rejecting from church, you know, with, with church? Cause you were saying, you know, it's not necessarily Jesus or the Bible, biblical values, but it's gotta be yeah, something. You know, I, I think people are rejecting control. I think they're rejecting manipulation. I think they're rejecting um, the, the celebrity status of people. I think they're rejecting, um, you know, just, just all the things that are man-made. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of authentic Christians that are like, I just want to learn to be like Jesus. (laughs) I want to be in community with people that will love me. I can love them. We can serve together. We can love God together. Um, I don't have to feel like I'm in trouble all the time with my leaders. I don't feel like I have to serve 18 times a week in some kind of way. I don't like, you know what I mean? There's just, there's a lot of culture that people are rejecting, but I don't think it's actually Jesus. I think it's culture. 
Yeah. But oftentimes when people reject the culture, they end up rejecting Jesus because it's all intertwined. You know, it's kind of like if some, if I give you something and I say, Hey, this is Kool-Aid, try it. And then you drink it and you say, I absolutely hate this. This is terrible. But what if I actually gave you milk? What if it wasn't even Kool-Aid at all? And you have no idea what you drank, but I told you it was Kool-Aid. And so you're like, well, I hate Kool-Aid. And anytime someone's like, well, yeah. what do you want to use Kool-Aid? You're like, I hate Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid is the worst. But you don't know what you actually had was not right. even the same Right, and then you point thing. it out and everyone's like, uh, that's not Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's not Kool-Aid that you had. And they're like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't think that's funny, the expression drinking the Kool-Aid. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> should use a different drink as the yeah. example. Whatever, you know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But the yeah. point is, like, sometimes we think we've had something that we haven't actually had, that we haven't actually experienced. Yeah, that's profound. And I think that God is wanting to bring us into purity. He's wanting us to have the expression of who he is and who and and what ecclesia is meant to be. Right. Mm. What what are we meant to be? Who are we meant to be? What is that meant to be like? And I think he's returning us back to pure expression. But what that means is that old expressions and things that are actually deterring and taking away from that are going to have to be dealt with. And that's a part of reformation. That's a part of transition. Um, whenever you're in, you know, major eras and seasons of transition in the church, you see major uprooting and then replanting, right? Because that's the goal of reformation. I, I've talked about uh, recently how um, reformers, like true reformers, not just offended people who see things wrong, who Satan can do that. He's literally the accuser. Like that's as enlightened as Satan, if we can just see things that are wrong with things. And so, you know, true reformers actually see what's wrong because there is a, there's a veil that's pulled back. You see things that are wrong and off and not quite what God wants it to be. But at the same time, you're coming with solutions and you're coming with the word of the Lord and you're coming with strategy. And that's the difference between people who are just loud and people who are here to bring change. Because sometimes people interpret, you know, you don't agree with our structure, you don't like what, you know, is happening over here. Or you're saying, Hey, this is wrong. And they're like, well, you shouldn't criticize you. Should. And it's like, no, it's not criticism to tell the truth about something. Mm -hmm. If that's brought in love and if it's brought with solutions and it's brought with the word of the Lord, right? Because there's a, yeah. there's a season that we're in where God really is behind change. He really is transitioning things. And so if we're holding on to stuff that God's trying to tear down, you know, that that's generally not a good idea. No. Y you know what I mean? No, you're going down with the ship if, uh, if that's what you do. Right. So I think that, you know, it's a it's a period of, of mercy. It's really been a period of mercy for God to be like, hey, ask me, what am I doing in this? Ask me because I feel we're, we're afraid sometimes to even ask questions that might give us answers we don't want. Guilty as charged. Right <laughs> All of us are guilty <laughs> as charged. Like, God, do you want me to take that? opportunity that will be really fruitful for me and he's like no you're like let me just fast about it i don't know yeah i don't know that was too quick of an answer i think no, i yeah that was great i think god definitely wants oh, me to do that yeah they don't, they don't hear the right thing yeah. which is the thing i want to hear yeah right well there's a cost right so anytime anytime you have to shift and transition there's a cost mm -hmm. and so you know, if we really have the fear of the Lord and we're devoted to Jesus, there is a willingness to pay the cost, even though it it really might cost. But we have to understand also that God is faithful, right? Like, what did Jesus say? Anyone who gives up houses, family, you know, whatever you give up, like in the scripture, I had to pull it up. But you know what I'm saying? Whatever you're giving up in this life, like, don't you know that God is faithful? And so we can't fear the cost more than we fear or more than we expect the reward of the mm -hmm. kingdom. Mm -hmm. That obedience is always going to yield yeah. a reward. Yeah. So I see a note in here actually uh, about how, how these hubs will operate regionally. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Cause I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of um, whiteboard <laughs> with my community. I did um, like a, 
a whole like whiteboard thing for two hours. That was fun. And then Did I you take I, red yarn and connect things. You know what? Like, no, because it was on zoom. I would. If <laughs> oh, I could. lame. Okay. If I could, I've been all about the whiteboards lately. So yeah. I did a whole whiteboard session in Sydney about this, um, which is actually online. Um, so if somebody wants to see me do it in a whiteboard, it's on YouTube wow, as well. Um, Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. But um, basically what I've been seeing and how God is leading us, it kind of comes down. I'll kind of break down a little bit of the why, because it will help people wrap their mind around it. Because when you're when you're talking about paradigm shifts and things that God is changing and why, like the what, it's sometimes really important to talk about the why first, because then people can get their head around, oh, okay, that's not just an idea that you're having. I can see why that is something God is doing. Um, and so a lot of what I think the church has been shifting into and a lot of the hunger you're seeing from the body is, you know, toward the way, what's the way following the way, following Jesus, discipleship, return, this return to, you know, the ancient past, spiritual formation. You're, like you're hearing these kinds of words so much more in the last couple of years, right? Like mm -hmm. that people are hungry for like the simplicity of truth of the gospel of Jesus of community. And so we know that there's, which I've, I think I've talked about this here before, but there's two different uh, things that I believe are important within discipleship. One is spiritual formation. One is equipping for ministry. These are different yet. Uh, they're different yet interdependent, which interdependence is a major thing in the kingdom. Not everything is the same, but everything works together, right? So in order to become mature disciples of Jesus, mature in our ministries, right? When we talk about Ephesians 4, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is so that we might attain the full measure of Christ, right? So when you read the end of um, Ephesians 4, it talks about attaining the full measure of Christ. But then before that, it's talking about the, the fivefold ministry being there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so when each saint is equipped according to their ministry, we all are rising in maturity in order that we might attain the full measure of Christ. So measure talks about metron. That's that's your the scope of what you're carrying, who you are, you know, yeah. like what you are, um, your your assignment, your, your sphere your, of influence. Would that be yeah, your, way of looking? Well, okay. metrons Maybe and no. spheres, metrons kind of like your assignment, your oh, okay. what you're carrying. Um, your sphere is your jurisdiction. It's like where yeah, your authority you gotcha. is recognized, cool. the the region, the sphere that God's given to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you, when everyone rises in maturity, they rise into that measure of Christ. And so if we're wanting everyone to rise, we're wanting everyone to mature, they're going to both need spiritual formation and equipping for ministry, right? We have to be and do. And so we've put this all together into one thing and said, well, it's okay. As long as you come to church services and listen to messages and all of that, then you'll, you'll, you'll get it all, you know, you'll get it all in as long as you're in a community group sometimes and all that stuff. And it's like, I actually see God bringing distinction between these two assignments, if you will, or these two processes that need to take place in our lives mm -hmm. where we're being spiritually formed to be like Jesus in community fellowship, um, you know, doing life together, serving together. This is kind of that function of the house church that we've talked about a lot. Right. And so you're, you're together with other believers in Koinonia in fellowship doing life, but then there's an assignment to do and to be given tools to equip. Right. And so that's the purpose of the fivefold ministry to equip the body that they might be mature in their own ministry. And so equipping for ministry is not spiritual formation, right? Like you don't learn to just to, to love people and have you know, emotional maturity and be a part of a family in a apostolic prophetic conference. <laughs> you just don't. Yeah. But what you will learn in that conference is tools to, mm -hmm. you know, take the kingdom into all edges of the earth, right? Which is actually the point of that yeah. conference and is actually the point of what those leaders are meant to give you for your ministry. But if you don't have the formation and you don't have the community and you're not actually walking with people to develop and to form as a believer in Jesus and a member of community, then then all of that equipping, it's it's not actually that awesome. Like it's not doing anything for you because your character is not growing. Your ability right. to relate to people isn't growing. You know what I'm saying? So it's both. Yeah. Both. 
Yeah. And all that, you know, going to conferences, whatever is fine, but there can be like, I guess, like what you're, you're suggesting a false perception of like, that's not growth. That's you're getting tools and you know, it's like you going and someone you're like, I want to build a house and someone going, okay, here, here are your tools. Doesn't make the house any more built. Right. You still have to build yeah. it. You have more tools, but you don't, you haven't built it yet. So sure. And I mean, having spiritual gifts, they're gifts, they're free. Like you didn't do anything to get that, mm-hmm. but the fruit of the spirit, like that's going to take you some effort yeah. and work and yes. <laughs> time and people rubbing you the wrong way and hurting you and all kinds of other stuff and being committed over long periods of time. And you know what I mean? Long suffering, gentle, like these are, these are real things that have to be outworked with the spirit in us with other people, you know? So God is, is, is asking for the fruit of the spirit, you know, in this season and not just for the gifts of the spirit to be manifest in believers. And so there's a maturity that God's looking for. He's looking for the measure of Christ. He's looking for the son to be revealed in the church, right? That's what we talk about in Romans eight. It talks about the, the revelation of, of the son, right? When the mature sons and daughters of God to be revealed that the earth itself is crying out mm-hmm. for this revelation, right? And that is a, that's a, that's a crying out for the mature son to be revealed the body of Christ in maturity on the earth, right? Which is, which is where God is leading the church. And so how do we have both? How do we have these spaces for formation, which we know that change and sustainable, you know, fellowship and all this, this happens in smaller groups. It just does. It doesn't happen with a hundred people. It happens a lot better with 10, 20 people. You know, when you've got a hundred people all facing forward, you're not growing in intimacy. You're not right. growing in vulnerability. There isn't a place for life together. And so, you know, God is, is, is creating spaces, I believe. And the home He's bringing us back into the home so that we can do life together so we can be vulnerable, but that doesn't actually remove the necessity for us to be equipped as the ecclesia, as the people of God, who are called to, you know, go out and bring the kingdom of God on the earth. And so what I believe is shifting right now and the understanding that's shifting is, yeah, we need the, the house, we need the fellowship and the formation, but we need the equipping and the way that that, I believe one of the major ways that God is shifting us out of more traditional church setting is into a hub that operates regionally. And this is actually not a new idea. It's in the Bible. Like this is how, when you think of a regional ecclesia, right? A regional body of Christ, you look at, you know, scripture, you look at Antioch, you look at, um, you know, these different examples in scripture of where different leaders, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Apollos and Peter, right? They're going into these different regions. They're ministering to the church. They're moving on. They're returning back. They're writing them a letter. Like there's a, there's a involvement with them, but there's not the, Like you don't see these people doing spiritual formation in their everyday lives. Like, yes, they might show up for a while until the church is established, maybe a year in one place, things like that. But they're not there to equip. They always are to form. You know, they always handed that off to the care of local leaders. Right. And I believe that that is, um, you know, the presbyteros, like a local leadership that is in the homes. Hmm. So I I go into that a lot deeper, too, if people want to watch that um yeah teaching on that so hubs specifically are um is that an interchangeable term with just a house church or is that specifically a place where like multiple house churches kind of converge like can you explain it a little bit more i know you've explained it a lot but no no i haven't actually really gotten into like the tactical so that's a really good question oh perfect Perfect. i'm just trying to set people up so they're like that makes sense you know Uh so they can kind of like get their head around it yep um but a hub is is less of a hierarchical ministry. So we like, so I I know a lot of people's minds would automatically go to, Oh, okay, cool. So I'm going to plant a hub. I'm going to get a building. Um, I'm going to preach there every week and people are going to come and learn apostolic. Congratulations. You have a church. Yeah. Traditional church. Yeah. Kind of like how church is now. So, and it's not, listen, so it's not actually wrong though, Mm -hmm. to have a building and teach people and have them come there that actually can be a part of a hub. But what a hub actually is, is a bigger understanding. So it is a, a ecosystem of leaders in a region. Gotcha. So it's more of an idea, less a physical place, more a. Right. So buildings and, you know, facilities can serve 
the hub of a region, but the hub is organic. The hub mm -hmm. is multiplied leaders working together in an ecosystem of support and leadership for the local believers yeah. who are in that area. Um, you know, and that can also, without going too deep and without making people like, what do you mean? I mean, <laughs> that, that can be, <laughs> that can be regional, like an actual physical location. It can also be a sphere of influence, mm -hmm. right? So when you think of spheres, some spheres are, you know, this city, this nation, this, this place, An another understanding of sphere would be a system, right? So the education system, the media system, the yep. these systems can also have hubs of leaders equipping believers in order to function with tools, right? This is ecclesia. This is when we stop thinking about church as the kingdom. And we start thinking about the earth as the kingdom, yeah. that we're the leaven that's in the whole entire bread. Yeah that we are sent into every place and space in order to bring the kingdom of God and to infiltrate the kingdom of darkness in every place where it is. Mm. Right. And so the regional hub is a variety of, you know, fivefold leaders who are working together to see that region, that sphere transformed for the kingdom of God. And so it's not just like, you know, five people, like an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, evangelist. It's, it's actually a collaborative group of people who will live in relationship, right? So it's not just like, oh, high five, we're, we all have ministries because nobody, no leader actually owns the people. Like the people are, they have fellowship in their houses. We're not trying to spiritually form them. However, the pastor, right? The shepherd does have that task of overseeing the shepherding of the body. That's actually their role. That's their ministry within the fivefold dynamic that they would oversee that the shepherding is happening correctly, right? When you look in the Greek in the New Testament, the word episkopos is the overseer, the one who's ensuring the work is being done, right? The word diakonos is the word for those who are doing the work. And so you have and those deacons. Diakonos work. would be deacon. Is that where we get deacon? Right. Yeah. yeah. Diakonos is where we get deacon. Episkopos is where you get um, elder, bishop, uh, overseer. And then presbyteros would be where you have, basically just means leader. I mean, the leader in the Greek. So it really like when you see presbyteros, like, and they gathered the presbyteros, like it could be all kinds of different, you know, function. It's not oh, necessarily, wow. these are the elders of the church, the presbyteros. So even when it talks about like, um, you know, uh, in Titus, like when Paul is like Titus, you know, stay there until you can arrange and, you know, and ordain the presbyteros of that region. He's saying like, we need leadership in that region. He's not saying ordain a elder do you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the way we've yeah started to the way we think about a lot of things is because of the framework we've learned mm. and we just put everything in that and make it make sense yeah but this is what i mean about asking questions that are bigger than our framework or not being afraid of the answers like oh it isn't it doesn't necessarily mean what i thought that meant well and i can even tell with myself you know like even in, in asking you this even though i'm very pro this it's obvious that this is what god is doing but even my mind, just through years of church, church structure, I even then I'm like, okay, but then like a hub, just like a place where people come together, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, even the way I framed my question was informed because of my decades of experience mm -hmm. in the you know yeah. church system. Right. And, and a hub, it, it's both, right. It's both. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it, it's, it's teaching people an understanding that this is an ecosystem but buildings can be a part of it, mm -hmm. but it could also function without buildings. And yeah. I think that's the part that's important because it's a, it's an interdependent part of forming believers that they might have maturity in their ministries and that we might together fulfill the great commission of Christ. Right. So there's, mm -hmm. there's different, um, there's different roles that we have in that, right. The, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, we all have different roles in that, but we are serving the body that we all might attain maturity. And so, yeah, sometimes we'll gather people in buildings to do that, but it's not always the same person who's giving them what they need. I think the understanding that you need one apostle, one prophet, one this, this is wrong. I think it's wrong 100% of the time. Okay. Because every, think of the individual versus the ministry builder. So like, this is again, a shift of paradigm because in our culture, church culture, often we think of the leader as the one that we're building, 
the leader's ministry as the thing that we're building versus every single member of the ecclesia is the thing that we're building. It's it the puts more ownership on the ecclesia. Yeah. Like, more ownership on the people, the congregation, if you want to use that word. We want to build the people. We want them to be yeah. mature, which means my question is less about how can you serve me? My question is, what do you need to attain your ministry? Yeah. Because when you think about formation and what happens in, in the fellowship, the ecclesia, the, or the, the oikos, right? The home. When you think about what happens in the house church, it's in order that everyone would be spiritually formed. And basically people need the same stuff. You need to learn how to read the Bible. You need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to love each other, all the one another's. You need, you need to learn how to serve each other. You need to learn how to serve the community. These are all things that every single believer needs. When you come over here to equipping, now you're in a range. I mean, it could be anything. It could be any blend of anything that somebody's needing to attain the measure of Christ that's in them. Because every person has their own unique assignment from God. And so to take people and say, well, these thousand people need to only learn from this apostle. That's silly because even when you look at apostolic anointing or you look at prophetic anointing, people have different emphasis. They have different, you know, like stuff that they're carrying. And when you look at an individual, it's more like, okay, well, what does that person need? What blend of things, right? Because they're going to need those different leaders to receive that teaching, to receive that impartation, to receive that, uh, you know, what they're going to need to be the blend of who they're supposed to be. That's when you're actually looking at the maturity of the ministry of the individual. And so allowing people, a hub is a lot more like a buffet where the house church is a lot more like, this is your meal. Mm. <laughs> Everybody's eating this. Mm. Like If you don't like it, you don't eat kind of thing. Like everybody gets this. But when you're coming into a hub, it's not like everybody at everything all the time. This is a, this is a, a group of leaders serving the region that the region would be strong, that the church would be strong in that region and that we would transform it to the kingdom of God. Mm. This is a way different paradigm. Yeah. Mm. Nobody's trying to figure out how they're going to make the most money. Nobody's trying to figure like, these are not the, the right, like, these are not the, this is not the emphasis anymore. It's how are we going to transform the region with the combination of anointings and combination of who all of us are that God has apparently called to this sphere or this physical place, what is in us that he has called us together that we might transform the region? You know, it's interesting, Rama, because when I was in missions, one of my mentors, I uh, was very, um, I guess it's maybe the early whisperings of what you're talking about. This was like uh, 10 plus years ago now, um, actually longer than 10 years. Anyways, um, and he was talking about this Western mindset we have of, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my thing, yeah. whatever it is to transform, bring God's kingdom on the earth to establish it. I'm going to do my thing. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing in my town. And he was emphasizing the need for us as believers to stop looking at things that way and mm -hmm. start looking at like, we're not building our, our thing. We're building his thing. And that more believers need to essentially join walls with one another and maybe do away with walls altogether. But um, it's a lot of what you're talking about. And I can see even he back then was seeing the early whisperings. And I heard other people talking about that type of stuff too. But now it's definitely developed into a more full-fledged. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like 10 years from now, you yeah. know? Um, sure. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there, and this is also why you're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of people have being humbled, a lot of people dealing with the pride and dealing with, you know, their own versions of humbling in various ways, because mm -hmm. there's only certain kind of leaders who can walk like this, especially because we've all come up in an era where we were taught that that's how you do it. You mm -hmm. build your thing. Your ministry is about you, which of course, there's like, there's distinction, right? There's things that I'm called to do that someone else isn't called to do. There's things I'm called to build that I will lead and that, you know, that person needs to lead that and this person needs to lead that. But it's about those people who are leading those different things being in unbreakable interdependence. It's not about like, my thing is the thing that everybody needs. It's about bringing um, what everyone has and actually understanding that it's an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And allowing, you know, people to receive what they need from various sources. And I'm not, you know, I think sometimes too, we get, 
like apostles, prophets, this is a, a point that I know people will probably think of if they are a fivefold leader, right? Because we do raise up sons and daughters. Now I'm not talking about, it's not okay for somebody to be a spiritual father, or spiritual mother in your life. Of course, like we have people that we're in special relationships with, but I'm talking about when, like, who can we receive from? If the only person you're ever receiving from is like one leader, you're going to be off balance Yeah, because there is no one person that is meant to have and possess everything that people need. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. Jesus was that only example. And even that's why God had him distribute himself into five. Hmm. Because even then there's a need for interdependence in the expression of the leadership of Jesus in the church. There is no one leader who can fully express and represent his leadership. And so there has to be that codependence or not code of interdependence where we would function understanding we're only bringing a piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so no, leaders have really to be really, really uh, humble yeah. because you've got to understand that like you have to honor what other people bring. And I was talking to a friend the other day who, um, you know, what they're carrying is just really powerful in a, in a certain, you know, topic and in a certain, like just a message they're carrying right now. And I remember um, telling them, I was like, I just really honor what you bring. And I really honor your place in what God is saying right now. And it doesn't mean that like, cause we, we were having a whole conversation about honor and that like, well, what does honor actually mean? And, you know, cause honor in the past was more about something you had to pledge versus actually seeing uh, what someone is carrying and placing a value on that. And and placing an honor on that, that you will give room for it. Hmm. That I'm not going to try to take the room from that person, even though, could I teach that same message? I probably, could I say that same revelation? Maybe could I, you know, have that same conference about that subject? Maybe, but like, I'm understanding the anointing of God on mm -hmm. that person to mm -hmm. do what they're doing. I'm understanding the anointing for that person to say what they're saying. And instead of trying to do it, which is the old way, because everybody wants to be important and like has something to prove and needs to build it themselves and needs to do it themselves. Instead of that, I'm going to honor and I'm going to see what's on them. I'm going to honor and I'm going to see what they're bringing in. I'm going to make room for that. And I'm not going to try to like bombard it. I'm going to like, let them do it mm -hmm. because I'm not trying to build me. We're like, we're supposed to be trying to build him collectively. And if we do that together, we're stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it takes a lot of humility to operate in honor. In true yeah. honor, not mm -hmm. false honor, which has to honor systems and has to honor what people produce, mm. which is people put their identity into what they produce. And this is when you really know when someone dishonors your thing, do you immediately feel that they're dishonoring you? Mm. Because what you produce isn't you. What you build isn't you. And someone may not like your thing that you made. It's like mm -hmm. your art, you know, like when you show someone your art and they're like, I don't really like it. And you're like, like, yeah, whatever. You Excuse know? me. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> it's like you are not that painting. Right. Yes, you made it, but it is not you. Yeah. And so this is why we have to know mm -hmm. who we are and who we're not, like what we're not. And this is why the identity emphasis has been so massive, you know, like mm -hmm. returning to sonship and returning to priesthood and returning to who we really are. Because even those within the fivefold ministry, see many people get their identity from that. Call me prophet, call me apostle. And it's like, mm -hmm. I'm not anti-title, like in, in theory, because I feel like, hey, like if I know who you are, I know what you're bringing. And so I'm not the person who's like titles, I just keep it simple, forget it, throw them all away. No, I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that when you need it, that's an identity problem. Yeah. When yeah. someone says it to you because they're recognizing the grace and the ministry that you're walking in, that's cool. It's honoring. That's fine. They're recognizing the impartation that you're bringing to the body. And I think that it should be able to be recognized like that. If it's not able to be recognized like that, you probably either aren't that thing or you're not operating in a mature ministry at this mm. stage. And so if someone can't recognize who you are without you like putting it in front of your name, I think that's probably a problem. Mm. And so it's not, yeah. it's not either way. It's not like titles are amazing and it's not like titles are nothing, but it's, yeah. it's a recognition of the grace that people are imparting to the body and what people mm -hmm. can receive. 
Sure. But anyway, I think that a lot of that celebrity culture and things that people have hated, you know, that's what they associate. Oh, well, I don't use, t- I don't want to call anybody that, or I don't want to recognize. And a lot of the deterrent or de- uh, rejection of fivefold ministry and things like that have come out of that. I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, especially because I talk about it a lot, people be like, why is this even important? And it's like, well, it's not important because the people are important, but it's important because what God is trying to release to the body, mm-hmm. we need to understand how to receive that grace and how to recognize that grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that you were talking about uh, backstage, and you'd mentioned that you had just did, done a post about this, but you're talking about how you're seeing a lot of death within leaders' ministries and not death as in people are dying, death of said ministries. Mm. And I wanted you to talk about it because it was really interesting. Totally. Um, you know, I, God was God was speaking to me like this last week, and it was like the weirdest. Everything's the weirdest word, right? Anytime you have a dream, you're like, that was the weirdest dream. And anytime you have yeah. a dream, like, the weirdest thing I saw. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, just to give, I guess, a little bit of context, I've seen a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that, you know, you know, through social media or you, that you've known in the past and you watch you know, you're watching the progression of the last couple of years and different ministries that are kind of waning, fading away things. And you see in this transition, of course, that's going to happen. You know, that when God is shifting structures, structures are going to go away. Structures are going to change. And so a lot of times we don't know how to interpret these kinds of moments and it can lead to all kinds of stuff, offense at God, bitterness, um, unnecessary pain, misunderstanding of what God is doing in the season. It can lead to defending things that God is actually asking you to let die. And so earlier, um, earlier this week or last week, God said two words to me. He was like, um, he said, John and Lazarus. And I was just like, okay. What about him? Yeah. I was like, I I know who you mean. They're both Mm -hmm. in the Bible, but talk to me, you know, what does that mean? And he started to kind of break that down where like in our personal ministries, we have to understand the difference between when God changes an era and when he changes a season. Because both types of transition will happen to people who are ministering, right? Like when you have a ministry, let's say, or you have an assignment from God, there are going to be era changes and season changes. A change of era is a complete death to an expression, to a message that you're carrying, to an assignment, to an alignment. Like it's a complete severing of that thing, right? Along with oftentimes a shift of context. So you're in a new place, you're with new people, you're in a new ministry, like something totally shifts and changes. But a change of season is just a reworking, almost like a rebirth of an expression, a message, an assignment, but you don't necessarily change context. You might be with the same people, you might be with this in the same place. But he was teaching me the difference between these two deaths, because they're both deaths that many people are facing in their ministries. They're not sure how to how, what to do with it, because they're not sure how to define it, you know? And so God was wanting us to see these, these things, um, his way, because it will actually help us process through it correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, all of us will face these kinds of transitions and many of us didn't do anything wrong to come to these kind of moments Mm -hmm. because oftentimes human nature is to think I've done something wrong and that's why I'm experiencing pain or I've done something wrong. And that's why I'm losing something I care about or that, you know, and so that's actually not a godly perspective because change and transition and like God removing things, adding things like this is actually just a part of maturing. It's a part of pruning, right? God talks about this in scripture, everything, even that does bear fruit, right? John 15, everything that bears fruit. I also prune that you might bear more fruit. And so we have to understand how to recognize these moments because sometimes things actually just need to change. So yes, it's hard, but it actually needs to change. And he started speaking to me about the difference between John and Lazarus seasons. So in, in Matthew 11, which is funny, you know, 11 being the number for a transition. So that was really interesting because it's Matthew 11 and John 11. Mm. Oh, so in Matthew 11, yeah. John the Baptist is in prison, right? So remember he sends disciples to Jesus and he's like, he's like, okay. So the disciples are like, Hey, we like John sent us. We're supposed to ask you like, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? And it's like, what a weird question for John to ask. Right. Because he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. So right. I mean, he was like, he baptized him and he's like, like, here's the lamb of God. Who's yeah. in world. Like this is my whole reason for being uh-huh. here. So it's a very strange question for him to send disciples. Cause it's clear that John is asking this question that he sent his disciples to ask this question. 
And so Jesus tells them to report back, you know, um, well, you know, the lamer, the lamer heal, the blind see, the dead are raised, you know. So in other words, tell him the testimonies. Yes, of course, I'm the Messiah. Like this is what the Messiah mm -hmm. will do. And then Jesus says his phrase, blessed are those who do, are not offended because of me. Offended because of me. So he uses this word offense. And here's the thing, like John knows who Jesus is. It's his cousin, literally his cousin. And his whole ministry was to proclaim the coming of Christ. So what is John actually asking in this moment? I believe John was wrestling with like a really frustrating dilemma that many people face. Why am I in this terrible situation when I know that you love me and that you have the power to change it? Yeah. Why am I in this pain that you could change, but you're not changing it? John died in prison. Mm -hmm. He was beheaded, if we remember. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of prophetic people would talk about the death of John actually being a prophetic picture, the cutting off of the head, right? The, the prophetic picture of a shifting into yeah. a new covenant, the shifting into a new prophetic season, because John was the last prophet of that era. And so John was a picture of the end of a covenant, right? But then in John 11, Lazarus dies, another, another guy in relationship with Jesus, close relationship. Both of these people were in very close relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. I don't know if I've talked about this in this context before, but like he waited several days. Yeah. And he was not far away. Like I think it was a 40 minute walk or something. Yeah. It's, it, I not mean, far. he clearly could have been there before, before Lazarus died, but he purposefully chooses not to go until he dies. So Jesus shows up when he's already dead, right? And the family is like, what in the world? They're totally distraught. You know, Martha totally is bit, like, you, you, who should have been here? Yeah. She's mad. And Mary's just like, oh, like, she's just yeah. like, I'm sorry. That's like the, the script. Jesus wept, you know, like, cause he got with Mary and he's like, I see you in your pain. And it just shows like the empathy of Jesus. Cause he already knows he's going to raise Lazarus, but I just love that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so sister with frustration, sister with sorrow. And then Jesus, he's like, well, with this situation, it's not going to end in death. Do you believe in the resurrection? And they're like, well, yeah, like, I think, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and then he says, it's necessary that the son of God would be glorified through this. Like it was necessary for Lazarus to die so that the son of man would be glorified so that God would receive glory. And so, you know, like we all know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But this was very confusing for everybody when he's saying all this stuff at first, because Lazarus still wasn't raised from the dead yet. He's like, it's necessary for my glory. And people are like, what? Like, why does something have to die for you to be glorified? Mm -hmm. You know, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, he tells the people around Lazarus, take off the grave clothes. So this symbol of death, that what he was wearing of the last season, take it off. And he's going to enter a new resurrected life. And so this was also the final miracle that accelerates Jesus into his death and resurrection. Right. This is when the Pharisees are like, that's it. We got to kill him. Mm -hmm. It was after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so all people out of that enter into a new covenant. Right. So we have to ask God, what kind of transition am I in? Because when you're in front of something that, you know, is dying, you have to know, is this a John or is this a Lazarus? Is this something that you are cutting off in my life and you're going to reset me? I am going to be reborn into a new message, a new ministry, a new thing that you're doing in me, a new message, a new place, you know, or is this a Lazarus season where you're trying to rebirth something that's already happening, but there is a death that needs to take place first. You know, I've experienced both. Like I faced a John season, mm -hmm. um, probably, you know, close to 10 years ago where I realized that I would never again minister in that same expression ministry with the same message. It was like, this season is finished. It is 100% done. And a final death actually requires grief. Like it requires grieving. And yeah. so you go through grieving over what has died and that's okay. And that's, I think a place where a lot of people are in They're They're in this like grief because they don't understand why it had to die. But what we have to understand is that God is going to reshape and reassign us. Why? So that we might bear more fruit. Mm -hmm. It's the John 15. I'm cutting off something that, had a message for a season, had a ministry for a season, was fruitful in some ways, in this way or that way. But I'm cutting it off because I'm actually taking you into a totally different thing that you might bear fruit in the future so that Jesus will be glorified, yeah. right? Everything so that Jesus would be glorified. So don't try to resurrect John. 
Hmm. That era is completely over. It's over. If you try to resurrect John, he will not raise from the dead. Yeah. It's supposed to be dead. And mm-hmm. you're actually going to cut off your own fruit if you try to resurrect John. Wow. Right? So if the ministry is a John, you have to let it go completely. Mm-hmm. If the message or the or the ministry is finished, it doesn't mean that you're finished. God yeah. is not done with you just because he's moving you out of an assignment. And this is where your identity starts to really be challenged and where you actually know whether you have identity issues or not. When God takes you through this kind of season where every expression of what you've been doing, everything like your whole ministry is completely cut off and you really realize, was I intertwined in this or do I really know who I am? Mm-hmm. And then the another really important thing about a John season is do not become offended at God and your lack of understanding in the process. Wow. Right. What does Jesus yeah. say? Blessed are those that do not become offended because of me. And he basically said, go back and tell John this. Don't become offended because I don't come get you out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to burn something yeah. totally new in yeah. and through you. And you're going to have to let yeah. that other thing die. Dude. You know, and then I face, I faced Lazarus several times, right? Where you're still facing a death, but it's a death to a way of doing things, or it's a reshaping of a message. It's a, it's a, it's a major shift, right? And this, you know, you got to let something die to allow something else to live and continue forward, you know? And so this involves some loss and grief, but it's quickly overwhelmed by the fruit of the new season. Mm-hmm. Like it's quickly overtaken. You know, if the ministry is a Lazarus, <laughs> you have to surrender it, right? You, you, Cause sometimes you don't even know until that surrender, whether it's a John or Laz- like, are you resurrecting this or are you cutting it off? Mm. Like sometimes you don't know. But you have to allow God to redirect, reshape, reform, whatever he's wanting to do with that expression or that message or the thing you've been building. You've got to let him rework it. Otherwise, it will die. So a Lazarus could become a John if you don't let God re- 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 resurrect it. Yeah. <laughs> or if you try to keep it alive and you won't let it die completely and you won't let God redefine it, then it will die prematurely. And it actually was supposed to continue on. It was supposed to be reborn into a new time and into a new season. You know, if this moment will not end in death, right? What does Jesus say? This will not end in death, but you will feel like it for a minute. And so you're going to have to keep your emotions in check and believe what God is telling you. I am rebirthing you. I'm reshaping this. I'm redirecting. And even though you're feeling that grief, you have to believe the word of the Lord that he's reshaping and rebirthing something. And you're going to have to take off the garments of the old assignment. Hmm. You're going to have to get off the grave clothes because the new expression is going to need to live. But now you're living out of a resurrected state. You're in a new place. You're in a different message. You're in a, you know what I'm saying? You are different. And so there's going to be a new expression and obedience in that process will produce new fruitfulness. Right. Cause I, I see a lot of people at the moment too, you know, they're facing impossible situations, you know, whether it's financial or this or that. And it's, it's oftentimes in these like big moments where you need massive breakthrough, you know, that you, that we always think that the breakthrough is actually what God should do in that moment. But I've actually found that sometimes God brings us to impossible situations because he's actually saying, stop, hmm. stop, this is done. And we don't know how to let things go. Like we really struggle with that. We're we're believing for the miracle. We're believing for the breakthrough. And I think we should, if that is the word of the Lord for that situation, but it's not always the word of the Lord for that situation. Sometimes God actually uses circumstance to tell us this is over. Mm -hmm. Let it go. Yeah. And I think too, like it also is definitely those times when like, maybe I've been, sometimes he does it just to check you like, Hey, I want you to remember that this is all happening because of me, not because of you and your own abilities, you know, and that's another, like, and I think knowing the wisdom to know the difference between those two, um, does that just come down to discernment or is that because sometimes your flesh can be like, no, no, no. I am pretty sure it's just, God's just reminding me that I'm supposed to trust him. It's like, no, it's because it's supposed to die, you know? Uh, and it could yeah. be the other way around, you know? When's the last time you heard someone say that? Like, it's not often that people have the maturity. And this is another reason yeah. why formation is so important because we've grown up in charismania, a lot of us. And so it's like faith over everything. And it's like, sometimes it's not actually faith that God is wanting from you. He's wanting obedience. 
sometimes it's actually like, when's the last time someone's like, you know what? God says, shut it down. Yeah. I don't, I haven't heard that very often. <laughs> yeah. Like God is saying, stop. God is yeah. saying change. God is saying, um, we're yeah. not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and sometimes that is the season. It wasn't about faith. It isn't about anything. It's about obedience. And it's because God's trying to do something in you, in the earth, in the church, in something. And it, it actually has nothing to do with you, but we really, really are going to have to find our identity, our security in the right place because we're going to have to surrender, you know, everything in our hands because the, the, the speed at which God is shifting and transitioning people and the church and ministries, it's like, there's, there's, there's things that many of us have held on to for a very long time that God's like, you're going to have to open your hand on that. And if you don't open your hand, it's just going to get torn out of your hands. It's going to be way more painful. You know, it's like that the Lazaruses would actually be resurrected, that the people, you know, that God is wanting to reshape and rebirth and re-release, you know, in a different way, in a different expression. You know, there's, I believe there's churches that are supposed to become hubs like that right now. They're like, we're, you know, such and such fellowship of somewhere. And God is actually speaking to those leaders. I have, it's, it's a pot like apostolic leaders who've been trying to lead churches. And God is like, I've actually been asking you to pioneer something different and you won't trust me to let go of this organization, you know, in this way. Hmm. And, you know, I believe that apostles are the ones that God is really calling right now to pioneer. And over time, hubs will not just look like one apostle, but it it is apostles that God calls to the front line to do the work and to, to actually pioneer these expressions and regions. And so I'm seeing that in so many places, um, Hmm. all across Australia, all across the United States, um, working with tons of leaders in this way where God is calling them to plant and establish hubs in their regions. And I'm, I mean, it's crazy how it's become suddenly like everywhere. Like, and I believe we're going to see it yeah. everywhere in next year. Like there probably won't be many areas without some expression of a hub that is being birthed in some way. Mm. So I'm, you know, and I, I, I almost know that for a fact, just because I already know things that are going on. Um, You know, so I know that this is a way that God is moving the church. Um, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to bring life. I think that it's going to bring a fresh, um, a fresh expression of who we are as the ecclesia. Um, And I think it will bring a fresh maturity, a fresh uh, accountability and, you know, to leadership, a fresh, just a, just a fresh everything, Mm. you know, because God is wanting a mature church. He's wanting a strong church. He's wanting us to grow up, you know, in our, in our likeness to Christ, that we would be like him. But he's also wanting us to grow up in our expressions, our unique expressions of ministry, Mm. that we really would reflect the fullness of Christ Mm. to earth and to, um, to our spheres of influence. So good. This is a very like heavy, like, I'm like, dude. I'm thinking about like so much now, like this is, this is really, really, really good. Um, and I know people feel the same way. So Rayma, I, why don't you go ahead and pray for people? I'm sure there's a couple of leaders who are experiencing that death you're talking about and don't really know how to process it other than grief. Um, you yeah. know, and there's a lot of other things you talked about, but just feel, feel free to pray as you feel led. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Father, I just thank you for, um, you know, for, for two different kinds of leaders, it's like the leaders who have been faithful to you, you know, to the best of their ability, they, they have built, you know, the churches, the ministries, the expression, the things that you've put in their heart, the things that they, you know, that they've seen fruit, they've seen good things, they've seen you move. And now you're calling them into a new season. And I pray God that you would give them the courage, you would give them the confirmation, and you would give them the, the plan, you know, the, the way to move in the way that you're calling them to. And I pray that you would ease the grief and the way that the enemy has tried to cause this season to feel like a permanent death instead of a new life. Mm -hmm. And that you always are taking us into what's good, right? If it's not, if it's, if it's not done, it's not done. If it's not good, like his plans for you are good. Mm -hmm. And so I pray God that anyone who's believing that things are over, that you would actually give them a fresh life and a fresh perspective and a fresh understanding of the way that you're working in their life and in their situation and in their ministry. And I pray for another group of people who have been 
you know, floating who are kind of, who've been trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in this season? What are you doing in this era? Because I've just kind of been out here, you know, not understanding what you're calling me to do or not understanding how I fit because I didn't fit in the, in the other thing I haven't fit. And I've been just trying to figure out how to plug into what you're doing on the earth. And so I pray God that you would begin to mobilize those people and they would see and understand your strategy for this era. And I pray, God, that you would connect them into relationship and into community, that they would know how to pioneer what you're doing in the earth. And I pray, God, just that you would bless everybody. I pray that you would have the church that you died for, that you would receive the reward, Lord, of your suffering, that your church would come into the maturity of the son and that we would reveal that to the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Rayma, how can people follow you? I know you've got revivetheway.com. That's a great hub to go to. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, revivetheway.com. Um Anna, we meet um once a month uh for that. So if people are interested in that, they can um get in touch with with us. Um, but we meet one Saturday a month starting in January. Um, and then, um, we've got my website, raymatrainer.com is, is a great way to get in touch with me. Um, how else I have a community, um, a fivefold community of leaders. Yes. Um, yeah, we do weekly equipping, um, online and, uh, we've got a, a really, a really vibrant community of fivefold leaders across the world. Um, so for more information on that, you could um, go to my website as well. So awesome. Yeah. Well, I have a class Raymond, as well. Oh, you do do tell. I do. Yeah. I have a class that, um, that is evergreen. So it's, it's now on my website. You can um, just go to my courses or on Instagram. There's a link to it. Um, but it's fivefold ministry in a new wine skin. So it's, it's basically talking about this concept for people who are trying to understand what is the fivefold ministry? How do I understand that in a new paradigm as opposed to in like Western church with like, okay, just knock the pastor out and put an apostle there. It's like, no, how does the, how does the fivefold ministry actually operate in a new paradigm? Mm -hmm. So that's that class. And then I'm actually doing a school um, starting in January um, called uh, reroute a pathway out of orphan hearted leadership. So for leaders who are really wanting to grow and learn how to lead in a new way. So when Mm -hmm. I talk about like, Hey, it takes a new kind of leader, (laughs) to lead in it in this way. Um, you know, many of us don't know how to go from the orphan hearted ways <laughs> into the new ways that God is leading us. And so this will be a very intensive, um, and, uh, very ministry focused, very healing focused, um, really getting down to like the deep reasons why we do things. And there's a lot of, um, other leaders I'm bringing in to be involved in that. I think it's gonna be really awesome. So you can find out more about that on social media too. Awesome. So everybody links in the descriptions to all of her assorted social medias, websites, all that stuff. So if there's anything that interested you, please go visit those, you guys. So Rayma, thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody, that's our show. Have a blessed (laughs) Tuesday. Tune in tomorrow. We've got our new teaching series, the last one of the year uh, with James Gall. It's going to be great. 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time is when you can catch that. We love you guys, and we'll see you then. Okay, bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today. Thank you.